Okay, welcome to episode 6 of Talking with the Hippies. Today I'm talking to the author and one-time member of the incredible string band, Rose Simpson. To be honest, it was lovely talking to Rose. So yeah, hope you enjoy listening to it too. Hello Rose, how are you? Hi Tom. Nice to speak to you at last. I'm very happy to be here. I think what we'll do, if it's okay with you, is just go through things chronologically, really. Um, okay. My podcast is really, a, I'm trying to get down sort of audible records of the 60s and 70s and, and onwards, really, anything to do with the, what I call the hippie culture or subculture. You, you were right there, right in the middle of it all. So uh, that's uh, really quite exciting. Um, uh, <laughs> some really, hopefully some really uh, good stuff there. But what about pre that time uh, when you were a kid and growing up and the 60s kind of loomed up? How did you, what was your experience of that? Well, 60s didn't really loom up at all. And um, I think culture was a word with, I wouldn't have understood. I wouldn't have understood didn't really seem to form part of our educational, formal educational system. And it certainly didn't form any part of my home experience. So really, it was just a matter of living the days as they came along, you know. Right. So, you, but you must have been aware of uh, the music and uh, stuff like that that was happening on the telly or, or not? Um, very peripherally. Um, I would have had my I would have had no choice of what was on the television anyway so it would have been even when we had one which was very late I, I mean very late and so the only I suppose the main media influence was the radio and that was a radio controlled by my father and so I was not exposed to that sort of influence the the time I came across anything that was in a way youth culture was um, obviously, when I was a teenager and got out of home, went to school somewhere else and, um, and, and met people. And so through, through people I knew, then I started to hear other music and things like that. But if you don't have a context to put things in, you're not, if you don't have something to measure against, you don't understand change. And so it was no use telling me how different this was from the 50s because my vision of the 50s was that of a small child you know analysis only comes later not not to the time you just live it yeah yeah I see what you're saying I, I suppose because for me I, I maybe maybe because of the telly I guess I and also the school I went to I felt really quite repressed culturally within myself in that I didn't didn't really relate to what was going on in in my life so you know when I found found something on the telly that suddenly was saying look there's something else apart from all this stuff that that really I, I couldn't relate to I really homed in on it big time and uh, so I, I think because of that was my experience I, I can't have imagined that was that was what happened to quite a few people. But I, I get I mean, forgive me for saying so early in the podcast, Rose, you are a bit of an enigma, really, as a person. I, I, I might edit this out as well, probably. But... I don't worry. No problem. I don't I don't offend very easily. 
<laughs> That's nice to know. I, I, I always slightly <laughs> concerned. That no, I it's absolutely. No, don't worry about it. You won't offend me for sure. You know, you, you, even when you were in the string band and I was a young hippie and I would look and I would think there's something odd about this band. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm going to perhaps go a little bit off the chronological. We'll get back to that. The first time I came across the string band was when I, I lived, I was a country hippie and I lived near a small town. And in that small town, there was a, uh, a bike shop that sold records. And I went in there quite often and looked through the records and bought the odd one or two. Money was quite tight. And I came across uh, Hangman's Beautiful Daughter. When I saw the cover and it was a country, uh, I was already like, turning into a hippie or I, was, I classed myself as a hippie at that point when I saw the cover I just thought I gotta buy this album now on that cover Rose you're on that cover aren't you that's Hangman yeah Hangman's Beautiful Daughter yeah yeah you're on that cover and you're kind of you're kind of covering your face up with your hair yeah was that your idea or the producer? It wasn't idea? an idea. No, it was absolutely. There was no production involved in that photograph at all. I mean, none. Um, nothing. It was not like a photo shoot. It was just like we all wander out and, and stand around and someone takes photographs. And so it was entirely my we all did what we wanted. There was no you will do this, you will do that. It was entirely unproduced. Then. Yes. Now that's interesting. So that that was just a total no significance whatsoever that you're kind of half hidden. Um, well, yes and no. I mean, I'm not keen on having photographs taken. I'm not keen on I'm not keen on it. Any of no. it. Really. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you went through the once I'd kind of come across the string band and started going into it and. And, you know, I wouldn't say I was your number, the string band number one fan or anything like that, but you were in, in with a bunch of bands that I liked. And, uh, yeah. uh, and it was interesting because you could, I mean, I was kind of slightly plugged into the alternative media, the International Times and all that and Oz and so on, but there was very little information that you could get hold of about the, the string band or that I came across and there was a sort of mysterious this all air of mystery about the whole band which I actually really liked and then well I'm doing more talking than you here Rose we need to change this round <laughs> people can listen to me anytime <laughs> but it was it was lovely the way that it came across to the what I, what you might call the, the the hippie in the street I don't know how it felt yeah. for you uh, at that time you see, it's the same thing, really. I just lived the life. I just lived the life I had. I didn't really think about pro projecting anything or what image or, I mean, the idea of an image didn't, didn't pass my mind at all. I mean, there was, it just didn't. It, it, it crossed my mind that it might be nice for Michael Robin to consider what other people thought. But for myself, it meant nothing, really. And um, it was just getting through the day or, or enjoying the day or what was going to happen tomorrow it was it was really very genuinely spontaneous it was it was the mystery was because we weren't doing publicity in the way that bands normally do publicity we we didn't aim for it it wasn't forced upon us 
we did the minimum. Yeah, so that, that's because I was wondering when you agreed to talk, you know, I was thinking, I wonder if I've got this right because I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I just missed out on a whole load of information here, but that's nice to hear you say that. And, and, it, and it always felt nice that it was like that too. Uh, and, and so this, let's get back to this kind of um, how you're there and you're just going day by day through your life. That's how you were before you even became a, a part of that scene. That's how you were living yeah. your life. Uh, yeah. So how come you like that, Rose? Because that's quite unusual, isn't it? I don't know how unusual it was at the time. I mean, you've got to think it was a really strange time. You know, we think this is a strange time, which, of course, it is. But so was that, you know. I mean, I was born in 46. So the war was very close, you know. And although the war wasn't actually happening, all the effects of the war were still happening in a way. And not worse than the physical effects of it and the economic effects of it were the mental effects of it. I mean, my generation were brought up by people who must all have been suffering from post-traumatic stress. I mean, some worse than others. I mean, I'm sure some were some people that were living entirely ordinary lives in their heads were completely blown apart, you know. Um, but it's a time when the discipline of war, in a way, the discipline that's forced upon you when the world collapses around you, people clung to, to, to doing what they knew. They kept repeating the same old patterns and, and using the same old words and producing the same old pictures and defining their life through those terms. And so I think maybe, I mean, and also a class, huge class thing, because obviously the, 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 um, the class divide was, was enormous between, you know, the educated, the talking people and, and, and those at the bottom who were doing the working, you know who really hadn't had any education, who really didn't understand what was going on, you know, and, and who were not in a position, who also never thought they should. They never even had a desire particularly. Um, and women certainly had a vested interest in not finding out, you know. It was easy, it was absolutely better for you to keep your mouth shut and do, do what was expected of you, you know. And, and I think therefore there must have been an awful lot of people like me who were just, going going along with it because what else would you do you know yeah I kind of I kind of when, now I think about it I suppose I was kind of going along as well just thinking well I, I've not really got much idea what's happening here uh, no <laughs> that's I mean that sums it up that feeling of I've got only knows what's going on but you know well I go to school tomorrow so I'll do that you know and and I'll do my exams because that's what everyone's doing it was that doing what everyone was doing you know um and not because you particularly wanted to all the time, but because you couldn't see what other choice you had, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so there you were going along like this, which is as we all were, say. And, and then you, you yeah. suddenly got to this point where you almost became a rock star by mistake. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that a fair description, really? I mean, you, yeah. you, you didn't have that yeah. in your mind, did you? Yeah, absolutely not. No, and, and I didn't even define myself as, as, as that when I was doing it. So, you know, that helped. Um, it, never, it never really occurred to me. It, I know that it sounds ridiculous now, but it, I'm only aware of that when I hear other people talking about then. And their vision of me was not my vision of myself at the time. You know, I just, well, I'm just here. You know, I'm just coming along for the ride. I'm, 
I'm just doing what I can. I'm just, well, that, doing what I can. And I'm really enjoying it. You know, I really like this. It's a really great life. I want to do this one. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when you, when you got, you, you, you found yourself with the string band and you could see that you were slowly being, becoming part of the band, uh, did there not come a point where you suddenly thought, I'm actually, this is now me, I'm actually a part of this band. Uh, and, and, no, you know, not really. People... I, didn't see, I didn't see it like that. No, I, I didn't see the band a public, as a public entity as anything detached from my life with these people. My life with these people was what it was. The fact that we went out sometimes and played and, and, and did tours and we had to do it, was just the life it was just it's just what we did and and mike and robin were absolutely musicians they they couldn't have done any they didn't they could they wouldn't have wished to do any other life that was that was entirely fulfilling for them and i really enjoyed it and so they're 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 i don't know what i don't know exactly how well i have a good, good idea really of how they saw this definition of themselves I'm sure that Mike would have liked to have been a rock star. I know he would like to have been a rock star. I don't think Robin ever wanted to be a rock star either. He didn't want to, there's no doubt. I mean, he didn't want to. He might have liked to be a very significant cultural figure, but certainly not in the context of rock star. And, you know, we weren't the only girls who just went along and did what not exactly did what we were told, but sort of did what we were told because that's what girls did then, you know. Yeah. And you, and you talk to the girls that really, you talk to the big names, you know, the people who had super talent and fantastic looks and who were like way above my league, you know, and they will tell you the same thing, you know. It's not, wasn't just me being particularly weedy. It was, that was how women, how it was for women. Yeah, totally, totally get that, Rose. And you're not you're not the first person to say that on on no. this on this podcast, actually. And I am really aware of 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 that. the 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 hippie culture was probably as misogynistic as the the ordinary uh, as the world as as the world we were in. Um, and uh, but but it was the seeds of change were in there. I think totally, they were. And and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that it was really, I don't think you can really define it as misogynistic. I think you can more define it as refusing to take responsibility. Um, and I think that was, a, in a way, a key point of the hippie culture thing was everyone had the right to live their own individual and personal life as they chose, you know. And, but also the downside to that was that no one was going to pick you up when it when it went wrong, you know. Um, I think that was really. I know it didn't. I know that. I know that people didn't um, have the didn't women particularly didn't necessarily have the choices, but in theory they had the choices. And bloody hell, could they talk? <laughs> Those men could talk the hind leg off a donkey, and they would they would tie you in intellectual knots and convince you that you were a perfectly free being and you could do whatever you liked but unfortunately you know it would be quite nice if dinner was on the table at six you know yeah, um, yeah. And, but it was not I don't think I mean they were they they also were the victims of their upbringing you know they'd also been brought up as in a certain degree the little princes you know and they also 
however big they talked, couldn't necessarily conceive a world beyond that, really. Yeah, yeah. Hands up. I think I fall into that, fell into that or fall into that. I mean, I hope I don't now, but at the time. But I, I, one thing that I, I feel or felt at that time as well was that, you know, there was this kind of, I'm not sure quite how involved you were with the actual hippie scene because you were in a way protected from the kind of mass of hippies that made up that scene, I think, possibly. But on that scene, there were, it was your description of the male female role thing is, is, yeah, accurate really, in that most of the girls were. Well, it was awful, really. It was almost demeaning. They were, you know, we used to call them chicks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 we didn't. And we, I quite, I thought it was quite quite funny, really. I thought it was funny. I didn't actually take it. Um, didn't see myself as one, but I, I thought it was just amusing, and and a bit silly, but frivolous. And frivolous was quite good after all those deadly serious years of miserable stuff, you know. So. Anything that was fun was good, you know, almost. Yeah, I, I don't think there was any, it wasn't, there was nothing harmful or no. meant. No, I don't but think there was. It was just stereotypes continuing, really. But it was always refreshing when you, for me, when I came, when I came, came across a, a, a girl who was breaking free of that stereotype, it was much easier to deal with than because uh, it's so easy for blokes to just fall into that role of being a bloke when there's when there's a, a girl there who's playing the role of being a you know a, a pretty girl or whatever sure sure but when you get someone there that's kind of won't take any shit kind of attitude it was it was extremely refreshing and that did happen more and more and more definitely yeah it didn't it did and, yeah, and it became more acceptable yeah, I'm sorry. yeah, absolutely, and 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 that was the beginning of the changes, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, German uh, Greer was a big help, and um, uh, and and on and on it went, and and thank God is all I can say on that one. Um, sure, sure. So yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. Sorry, Rose, please, please. No, no. I mean, you certainly felt you had, um, you had now got, uh, sort of approval of doing your own thing and approval from uh, women who who knew more and, and could analyze better, you know. And so in a way that awareness that it was okay to claim independence and that it was okay to choose your own way was absolutely around, um, even for those of us who were still quite happy to be called hippie chicks. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that awful? <laughs> But you know, there you are. It was fun. It was a great. It fun. was fun. It really was. Yeah, it really was. Uh, anyway, Rose, there you are. You've you've, you've ended up in a, a part of one of the biggest bands, most successful bands of the time, and and you know, I've got to say, uh, fantastic band. Uh, credit where it's due. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so much, so much pleasure and so much joy uh, yeah. came through that through through that band to to us. Um, and uh, so thank you for that one. Um, but it came to me as well. Thank you to you lot for, in a way, helping me to listen to it, because I, I hear it now 
as the audience in a way, you know. And of course, I can remember everything about it. It's so odd listening to a record. I can I can see, I can see, I can feel the being on stage. I know when Robin did one thing and Mike did something else. I, I, can, I can hear all that in it. Nevertheless, I can still hear it as with some detachment, yeah. Yeah, so I, I can't... Uh... Actually, when we when we were discussing doing this podcast, you said it was going to be mostly me wanting to know about the string band, and I was thinking, no, 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 we're going to talk about other stuff. But actually, there are <laughs> there's so much there that I want to ask about. Uh, I I'll just go for it, I think. And if it if uh, if yeah, it's, sure. Uh, so you know, my uh, my, my favourite string band track is. Um, from the album I looked up and it's this moment and when I heard that track my life I mean my life is changing by the second anyway so to say that it changed yeah. at that point is ridiculous really but it was one of those moments where you just go god blimey I mean how could someone write that uh it, it and so I'm just thinking, uh, when I started to think about that and the fact that I was going to be talking to you and I was thinking, what was that like for you when you, I'm not saying necessarily this song, but s some of those songs that were... I can remember you. that song. I can remember that afternoon. I can so, remember. Did it, did it, was it absolutely mind-blowing or how, how, I mean, it must no, have been incredible. It wasn't. Because <laughs> this was someone, this was someone I knew I was living with. Um, I shared all the days and the nights and stuff and and it was that's who he was that's what he did and so it didn't surprise me and it was yes it was lovely I mean I, I remember it as a I, I, I certainly remember not being surprised by it uh, I also remember lots of other stuff about it but um these songs were always, I mean, Mike's songs, certainly. I think there was none of them that I didn't like, enjoy. They moved me. Um, they meant a lot to me. They were the words. They were very significant to me. They changed my life. Um, all those things. But they didn't blow my mind because that's, again, this thing about I lived with that all the time. Uh, Mike, Mike came out with words that were sort of magic when he was frying an egg you know so why would I be surprised really you know yeah yeah so nice such such good stuff so when I started the podcast I one of the things on the list of that I wanted to uh, do was talk to someone who uh, had been at Woodstock because I figured that's that's kind of like a absolute you know point of something yeah about yeah time and yeah. I kind of imagined I would be talking to one of the 400,000 people who were you know in the mud uh yeah. <laughs> starving hungry uh yeah in a way I'm kind of glad I wasn't there but but anyway Rose you were there so can you can you tell us a little bit about that yeah I was also in the mud and it was fairly hungry at different points yeah but um that was part of what made it amazing because we, well, I did, I did feel part of that, 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 that group, that tribe, the tribes, meeting the tribes, and I felt to be one of them. 
and I didn't feel that I was there as a performer or as an entertainer. I was one of those people um, and we had, I was in the mud and, and we, okay, we were, we were better off. We knew that someone would look after us ultimately. Um, and we know that we would get out and we knew that we would be, we had people who would care about us, you know. Um, but nevertheless, the actual feeling of it, the mud was was everywhere, you know. And we, our first night was not much better than many of the other people's who were out there on the field, you know. It certainly wasn't sort of warm or in a Winnebago or something. I mean, we, we were in a tent in the mud getting wet like everyone else, you know. Um, so I really did feel I'd sort of shared that that time with them. And that was what that's what I remember about it, really. I mean, the performance wasn't great. The performance was pretty awful, actually. But the event, the, the, the people, the, 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 all these young people coming together and suddenly they did seem to be remaking the world. And suddenly there was a future that was shaped by us not by you know not by the politicians and the generals and the old people from before but that we could make it new and i and it was so it was so entirely that was mind-blowing that was mind-blowing that was when all the rainbows exploded around and it didn't matter about the mud and the rain and the fact that we were cold it it was that feeling of we're all together and we're making something new and I really believed it. And, and in a way, I sort of still believe it. I, I believe in the spirit of it. I don't have a lot of don't have a lot of hope anymore in that way. But when you're that age, you can be really hopeful, too. So that was wonderful. Wow. So that feeling that you're describing there. So you, you've been in the band, a cut, what, a year or so? Up until well, I've been I've been around them for a while, but I'd been, I suppose, performing for a year or so, yeah. And so, so were you? You, you. I mean, they, they had. A, you had a very packed live schedule, didn't you? You were pretty yeah. much always, yeah, at it. Yeah. Um. Did you kind of feel like when I know when we used to go and watch the string band, it was almost like a kind of um, uh, spiritual experience in a way. I mean. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But it was like we would. No, go, it doesn't actually. No, we'd come out feeling uplifted, and you know, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm guessing there was uh, quite a bit of that there for you too. I mean, the vibe yes, there was. The stage was fun. There really was. There really was, and and not all. I'm obviously not all the time. You know, sometimes things were things were not going well, or you know, a certain song didn't work, or. You know, we had a falling out with something. No, we never actually. We never did have fallings out. They they were they were not as open as that. It was there were rifts, but they rarely came to defined words as such. Um, but yeah, sometimes you'd be playing a song, and it was it, well. Again, it's this thing of being part of because uh, a performance responds to the audience. You know. And when the audience are feeding back at you, you get swept up with them. It's a two-way conversation. It's not, um, it's not like a blank wall that, that you're throwing something at. You know, the wall's throwing it back. You know, and and when that happens, then of course it is the experience, which is, call it spiritual, call it ecstatic, 
comment whatever you like but that experience happens i think for the people on stage too for sure yeah that's really nice i i guess most people that listen to going to listen to this podcast will know that you uh you you've, you've written a book uh which published about a year ago or a year or so ago uh and uh it it, it is a uh i've got to say it's a lovely book rose um thank you there's so much honesty and uh, just loads of good stuff in it that i you know i i, I struggle to read books if i don't write them i a book has got a really yeah for me otherwise i can't be bothered with it and yeah i'm not there, your, yeah. your book was good so I'm sure I'm not the first to tell you that, but I'll tell you anyway. But um, well, thank you very much anyway. <laughs> lovely book, uh, really captures a lot. Uh, it's good to hear you talking like you are, though, Rose, because that perhaps doesn't quite come across in with the same power. That is that you know when you're talking about Woodstock there, and when you're talking about your live performances, it's just lovely uh, to to know that you were what you were feeling and what we were feeling and. Yeah. Uh, it, it it was powerful stuff, and and uh, it was powerful stuff. Yeah, you know, it took us. A, a and a book, I see, a book's doing something different, isn't it? A book's telling a story, and a book's linking one event into another. And so, in a sense, um, and because if only one performance had been a powerful event, then yes, you would have talked about it as that. But all of them, in one way or another, at some moment, I I, I can't. I can't imagine any of them at some that weren't at some moment that intense event, you know, uh, for us as well as we hope the other people, you know. Um, and sometimes it was intense between us or between some of us or between us and someone in the audience or whatever it was. But I think it was, I think you can absolutely say there was never any time when we just sat down there and thought, okay, we'll flog through this one. Okay, we'll flog through that one. Um, and, and that was completely not what we would have done. And and certainly, certainly Robin, well, Robin and Mike, I mean, that was part of their, the reason that, you know, they're not the Rolling Stones in a way, because they were never willing to do that. They never would. Even when they were pushed under a lot of pressure to do that, they never would. They They cared more about it than that. The music is really their lives, you know. It really was, and and I, in a, in a you know in a very, I can't I can't tell you how it is. I just I know. I've seen lots of musicians in my time, and some of them, you know, music is 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 how they breathe. It's how they speak to the world. They have no other way, except in passing. You know, they can make some words or they can do it. But this is their life this this writing this music this words and others it's a craft it's a skill it's a and they're, and they're wonderful at it but they have other ways of expressing themselves too but these two yeah they they were they were what they looked like so rose it all come came to an end uh and from read, I didn't know this until I read the book, but it was all around this the 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 Scientology thing, wasn't it? Really, that you didn't really get into it, and they per, per, kept stuck with it, and uh, and that's complete. I completely get what you're what you're saying, if I've read that correctly in the book, 
Um, yeah, I think I think there was maybe other things, but I think that was that was absolutely what crystallised the thing, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't. I I personally, obviously, I can't say what the, I don't. I don't. I don't even know what they would say about it because I would never ask, and I don't think they would talk. But I think that was, you know, what the string band had been one thing. And then that blew it, blew it apart, you know, and it never could be that same thing again for me. Yeah. And and you clearly were a big part of that band, Rose, you, because you, when you left, if you, if you look at the schedule, there's a huge load of concerts that got cancelled that just says uh, because Rose left. And mm. it's, it's, I, I mean, because in sometimes in your book you make out that you're just a, an add-on, but you you weren't an add-on, were you? Really, truthfully, you were a big part of that band. I think and, so, but you know, who knows? I mean, yes, I think I was. I think I think I was, um, just as Licorice was, you know, and and I think, <clears throat> but it wasn't really acknowledged at the time, and. And and the relationship again, it was it was this thing about and spirituality. I don't know what you want to call it, but things that you can't just put right down in a contract. You know, we didn't do that. You know, and um, it was all how how the day felt. You know, and when the day felt wrong, then you didn't do it anymore. You know, because I I couldn't have lied through it. I couldn't have lied through a performance. And I don't think, I don't think, although I can't answer for actually at that point, I don't know that they would have wanted anyone to do it either, you know. Um, and it would have been a lie. It would have been all that string band wasn't. It would have been pretending. It would have been performing in the sense of acting, you know, because there was, that's how, it, you know, something had come to an end really, you know. Yeah, I can see it wouldn't work. You, you know, listen, listening to you describing how it was, I, you know, it, it's not something that you could fake. Uh, I, no. I, I know that we were all gutted uh, when it, when it started to unravel, and um, um, and I'm sure I'm sure you probably were too, and, and the other guys in the band. Um, but. Um, so, so, but it was like a kind of the way you drifted in at the beginning, and you then you kind mm. of drifted out the other end, and and yeah, that's that. right. Uh, you're and you were even even at that point, you were a mystery when you went in, you were a mystery when you came out, and you remained a mystery for forever, really, didn't you? I, I mean, uh, does that make you, you might you? Obviously, you're not a mystery to yourself. Maybe, maybe you are. <laughs> I don't know. But um, you, you weren't heard of and no one knew what you were doing. And you weren't going to go in. You know, like when some rock stars leave one band, they go into another. You weren't going to do that. Or, or, or no. was there any chance of that happening? Or were you just... No, done? none. None. No, it was not. It was, it was the point of string band for me was string band was a life it wasn't a job or a performance it was a life and that to me is what made it what it was because when we sat on those stages 
we were the same as we were when we were at home. I mean, that I read it in the book, that's the case of it, you know. That was, we were that, that's what we did, that's who we were. And that's why people responded as they did, because they knew, they could see that, they could see, you know. And when we were cross, it was blindingly obvious, you know, that we were really in a bad mood, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and usually it was the audience that brought us back again, you know, brought us round, you know. They were feeding us as much as we were feeding them, you know. And, um, you, you know, you, you, that, there was no other possibility, you know. So, so you left you left your life as a as a musician, uh, or at least a, as a band member, as a you know a, a band member, and yeah, you, yeah. You, walk, you walked on in in the kind of rose style of one day at a time. Let's see what happens, kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, have you continued to live your life in that way, Rose? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Amazing, it's lasted so long in the circumstances. <laughs> well, it's a real gift, isn't it, to be able to just kind of take it, go along, and really not be filled with, you know, ideas or ambitions or uh, plans. And um, you know, I, I sometimes wish. I, I mean, I in the sixties and early seventies, I was a little, little less driven. I'm, I've become more driven as I've got older, really, which is a bit odd. But I sometimes wish I could go back to just being, uh, you know, just thinking, oh, I'll just enjoy this moment and just, you know, I've got everything I need here now, and you know, which is the truth. And it, this, but there's something in me that drives me to try and achieve things and. Uh, you know, like, so for example, like, how come you suddenly decided to write a book? That was a massive enterprise. I, I, I've, I've done Not quite a bit of me. writing and there's a lot of work gone into your book, isn't there? I mean, it wasn't it's a five yeah. minute project. Oh, well, no, it was not. It wasn't a massive enterprise. It was, I can tell you, I hadn't done anything. I've never written anything really. Um, so the, the break was I, when I was 60, which then was pension age for women. Um, this was the, the this was a real I don't know real a real good point for me, because then suddenly I had money to live on and this was really great you know really enjoyed it I didn't have to go out to work and earn some money all the time I had money to live on and it was fantastic, and and then and with this emotional sort of fallback position, I. I made a very conscious decision to do to catch up on life, you know, and and I thought, right, when I was eighteen, what did I think was really, what did I want to do? What did I think? What did I admire? What did not want from life? Because it wasn't. I really didn't really. I would have liked to be then. What would I have liked to be if I sat there at eighteen, you know? And one of the things I'd always really admired was people who were cosmopolitan and who had fluency in languages you know and particularly European languages that um, opened the world of European culture and so I thought right that's what I'm going to do well that's the first thing I'm going to go back to university and start again and that's what I did wow so I started a, a degree in French and English, uh, French and German at uh, the age of 60 and just kept going. Good heavens. 
and that's so in doing that obviously I had to start writing you know albeit not in English but nevertheless the habits of writing started with that and and reading reading world literature again in, in a more planned and more specific way started again and I, I really had a nice time doing this degree thing and then I carried on I just kept going and did a PhD and that involves a lot of writing um, and so it was fairly easy to move on from that to write a book and the reason I did that was because I'd heard I'd been told that Mike I knew that Mike had brought out the first volume of his co-written um, autobiography thing and I I, I didn't read it actually, I've never read it, but I've glanced at it and it's very much Mike, you know, it's not my, my thing. And I heard that he was about to start writing volume two, which is essentially when I met Rose. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm not wild about that really. <laughs> I did actually meet him and talk about, you know, talk about stuff for a bit, you know, but I'm not keen on I wasn't keen on the idea of it and that put the idea in my head and I just thought no it's no use just grumbling about it if you want to do it write your own you know because it was going to be so it was inevitably going to be so different because okay we were living living together and doing all the same things but the the, the brains that were experiencing all that were so different that, that, that there was no there was going to be very little crossover as I could see and so I did it. Brilliant. Wow. That's a good story, Rose. It's also the truth. That's exactly what happened. Brilliant. Uh, so the only thing, of course, what I, I think straight away, being this kind of uh, over-ambitious person, <laughs> way beyond my capabilities, I'd be thinking, look, Rose, you are, you're a really good writer, you know, and you're either that or you've got a flipping good editor. You know, it's so... No, I've got, I, I couldn't, now, now I've got very, that's, Strange Attract were really great, but uh, they, you know, though I, I, it was really me, I really wrote it myself. It's really, it's, uh, anyway, I don't want to big it up too much. I don't like giving, I don't like people praising me and I don't like giving too much praise, but it's a good book. And, um, but, you know, I'd be thinking, well, come on, Rose, there's got to be another one in there as well. You can't just have one. Oh, I, I've written, yeah. I've written the one I wanted to write, but I don't know if anyone actually want to read it. But um, I wanted to write about a German author who was part of the subject of my PhD. And uh, she was born in 1885 and lived right through to 1973. Um, right at the heart of the German intelligentsia, right at the heart of all of it, and the family life and the, her personal life and her work, I found so entertaining, challenging, thought-provoking, um, disturbing, on forced moral questions upon oneself. It it was so. I mean, I sort of feel I lived lived the life, lived alongside the life of this woman in my mind for so long that that was the book I wanted to write, and not in an academic way, not in a not like a research type book, you know, because that wasn't ever really what interested me. It was I'm interested in how people live their lives, you know. How was it? How was it 
to be born you know in that sort of family it was so diverse and weird and peculiar and 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 to live through the first world war then to live through berlin in the 20s and all that madness and that wonderful ecstatic insanity of it all you know and then to go into the hitler time and suddenly really without almost trying to suddenly find yourself on Hitler's list of Hitler's favorite authors and never having joined the Nazi party or having no intention to join it. Nevertheless, you become, you, you become part of it. You become a supporter. You know, it's on, on the thing. If you're not, if you don't oppose it, that means you're supporting it. And particularly in a totalitarian state, it, it's a bit of a moral dilemma, you know, because, and if you've got a family who are dependent upon you for, for nearly everything, and and both generations forward and generations back and you you've always since your earliest youth you've been the the sensible one of the family you were the one who kept the family going you know who did all the right things who supported everybody who who was uh, in a way from nine years old the matriarch then if you've always been that how do you suddenly ditch your family and run for it you know but it's a decision that people are making now in Ukraine, you know, which is so horrific. But she was making it with Hitler. Mm. Um, I don't know that she ever talked to Hitler, but uh, they, they were, those circles were tight, you know. And you, you almost, you can't say, you can't say that she didn't support the regime because, yeah, she did. Um, but not, but. <laughs> Not me, um, and you can't even say not meaning to. Yes, she did, but I mean, it's a whole moral cloud around that that fascinated me also. And that, what would I have done? It was that putting oneself on the line, saying, what would I have? How would I have lived those years? How would I have made this decision rather than that one? You know, and um, how would I have finally picked up the tab for it in term in personal terms, in terms of my own self-criticism how would I have adjusted my head and that was the book I wanted to write and I've written it and I've written it um, now I've written it excellent I finished it um and whether I whether how how uh, I really like it well I don't I mean I like I like it at that stage where you like you've written something and you like it and you think I'm I just put it away now and I'll go back to it and I've got really great photographs uh, really great photographs from um, an archive in Germany, which I just 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 make her come to life. You know, it brings this person who's been written out of German literary history because of the Hitler time. It brings her into a life. And that was what I wanted to do. And I've done it. And if it happens, if it works as if it gets published as a book, well, lovely. If it doesn't now, I can now I can feel I did it, you know. Which doesn't mean I won't try to get it published. It just means it's not. But I'm now writing, as as again, really got going now again, on writing a book about Witch Season Productions, which was the Joe Boyd production company that um, that produced uh, Fairport Convention and uh, all that lot. Nick Drake, obviously, um, you know, all, all those names. But Vashti Bunyan, I don't know, all these names that were uh, cr- crowding around that little office, you know. Uh, and and I couldn't really work out how to do it. I've spoken to Joe about it, and he was sort of a bit, well, mm, uh, well, yeah, okay. Well, I'd rather you did it than anybody else. 
so that's as far as I've got. I've now started it and I'm now getting quite enthusiastic about it. That would be a good read. So there we go. See how it goes. Well, that's incredible, Rose. Well, it's great that you're because uh, I was thinking you 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 might be just thinking right. I've done my book now. I'll stop. But, no. no, no. I love it. I love doing yeah. it. I had such fun doing it. So I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was a bit tortured. I mean, that was a bit tortured writing the memoir because I had to relive it all, you know. And it's much well, easier to first, relive others. Yeah, uh, it's it's very powerful, and you know, you really are. Uh, completely so open and honest it's it's just really good you know well, there's so no many, point in doing it otherwise well if you say that I mean so many of the books that written by uh not I suppose not people in similar positions but you know big name people of that era uh, they they almost like written for, as a part of a contract or something rather than as a yeah. a, a meaningful memoir and, and it shows when you read them, you know, you, I can't, I, I, honestly, there have been some books that I've been unable to finish because uh, they yeah. lacked any heart whatsoever, really. So, it was a, yeah, great. Uh, I thought the title, uh, do, do, should we <laughs> just talk briefly about the title? I think uh, it's quite interesting, isn't it, having spoken earlier on about the whole kind of uh, male-female thing, this um, muse, I mean, clearly you're a very thoughtful person. There's no question there, that, that's clear. This uh, odd odalisk and handmaiden, really, Rose? Yeah, I think, I think. I, I, they're, they're very specific. Um, the muse thing was, both, both all the words had a very positive and a very negative side. So, and that's what I think I was trying to, it was for myself, it was my title for me, you know. I do it for me. If, it, if other people like it, great, but it's, I have to want it. And the muse was, when you're someone's muse, that, that is such a, a trite word almost, you know. And, you know, they talk about Shelley's muse, then you have this sort of vision of a lovely girl somewhere, and, and then you know, Blessed well, if you've ever done that job, you know what that means. You know that means that, you know, you have to um, support them. You've got to give up, in a way, give up something, so much of yourself, you know. And you have to, um, living with people like that is not always the easiest ride in the world, you know. And um, there's a lot of, it's quite demanding. Being, being a muse is no joke, you know. And if anyone wants to be one, well, good luck. And I hope you have a really great time because I did. But bear in mind, you know, that you'll probably end up as a footnote uh, at the bottom of a poem somewhere. And that'll be that'll be your mark on posterity, you know. And um, Odalisk, that was that was what we were required to be, you know, when we were all dressed up in these sort of hippie floaty things, you know, and transparent blouses and scarves floating all over and beads and bangles and jingly hands and jingly feet that's we were required to be the odalisk the slave yeah that's what that was the that was what was presented as if we all wanted to be that you know and sometimes it was it was a really fun game sometimes I'm not complaining about any of it I never felt a victim and I still don't feel a victim and I and I, I accept that odalisk in a way conveys victim but I said there were all very two-sided words you know there was a lot of fun there was a lot of fun in being that there was also 
the, the implication that you're in some ways a slave, you know. Uh, and handmaiden was not the word I would have chosen. I wanted to say squaw. I wanted to use it, muse handmaiden squaw. And the reason that didn't, that was an editing thing, and that's the only sort of significant editing that I really, that meant much to me. And that was on the grounds of, of critics and, and what was acceptable. And yet, and, and yet that also was a two-sided word because the, at the time, particularly in the States, but to, to look like a squaw, to have the plaits, to wear the buckskin, to do the beads, which I did for all of those, um, was an admirable thing because it, uh, Native Americans were regarded as living, uh, flowing, flowing with the seasons, flowing with um, the, the elements and the, the cosmic forces. They, and the fact that they were um, beaten out and beaten up and, 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 and all the terrible things that happened to them, in a way, dressing like the squaw and putting yourself in that position was seen as a positive thing, not a negative one. And, and also, I also was aware, as I wrote it, that there's a big debate amongst Native American, um, well, not I say big debate, there's a thread of debate with Native American academic women that squaw is a good word because it was, um, it, was a, it was a proper word. It wasn't one imposed upon them from the oppressors or the col colonialists. It, was, it meant something. It was a word with dignity. It was a word with presence. Ultimately, I understood that the, the title of a small pop memoir is not the place to have that debate. And so that's why I gave it up. But all the three words meant something. And um, the fact that no one else, or some people, only saw partially or didn't see it at all or, or or thought it was a bit peculiar well that's all right you know it doesn't really worry me particularly you know well it's kind of nice that you've said all that because uh, i i do see that you know your role in that band at that time i i can see you 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 did have to play that role it, it wouldn't have worked really if you hadn't no um, no, it really wouldn't, and and it was and it was a pleasure. It was, it was not a victim role, you know. It's um, it really wasn't. Uh, it, I, I try as I try as I might, I still can't see. I can't feel anything victimed about it, you know. <laughs> I, um, I chose it. I mean, I, I because you weigh up gains and losses, I suppose, in in some sort of unconscious unconscious way, and what that gave me was so much more than anything it cost me it was just it was fantastic it was a wonderful life with incredible people in in a world of super talents and great great forces of nature then you know it was a great life fantastic so rose you okay had problems <laughs> you, yeah you 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 can't you came out of that band and you lived uh, what would be i uh, i suppose a there's no such thing, but you know, a normal life. Yeah, um, very ordinary. Yeah, and um, and here you are now. Uh, you know, enjoying. I don't dare I say it, old age? I'm not you. <laughs> Absolutely, you totally. So I'm 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 knocked out. I think it's wonderful. I'm amazed I, to ever got here. I think when when you were talking about your uh, the history book that you you've written with about the. I think one of the joys of getting old is the kind of perspective that comes with it of, yeah. 
you know, your whole existence and what, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure we can solve the mystery of what's going on, but the fact, you know, you get a perspective on life, don't you, as you get older? And yeah. it does, if, if you're lucky, it gets more interesting. And for me, I found yeah, it more interesting, definitely. more fascinating. And, Absolutely. And, um, so much more understanding comes as you yes. get along. Um, yes. Yeah, it's a real privilege to have got old is a privilege. And it's something I think to be to be proud of for itself, because you have lived that life. You have gone through all those years and all those experiences. And I don't think anyone should be reverent about it or anything. But I think for the person themselves, they should be cheering and say, wow, I've done it. I've done it. You know, I think it's wonderful. Yeah, brilliant. So how do you feel about, you know, like the the... You know, when you were describing about Woodstock and you were describing about being on the stage and those kind of fantastic experiences, have they carried you through? Have you taken them with you? Or is it was there kind of a bit of a shut-off when you walked off? I shut off entirely. I just shut off entirely. Didn't even... I, I couldn't watch a band for years. Wow. I still can't, really. Really? I always want to be that, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, I find it excruciating. And and uh, I the, I went to see Mike and Robin at the Barbican in I don't know when it was, but they did a some sort of reunion type concert at the Barbican. Um, and Joe said I should come. Well, no, actually, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I ended up there. Um, someone must have told me to come along um, because I wouldn't have gone without that. And I just spent the whole thing. I was in floods of tears from start to finish, more or less. It was so painful. It was unbelievable. And and that, but even watching other bands, you know, I still, I want to be there, you know. I want to be up there, you know. I want to do it, you know. Uh, I just, I just kind of like it. And have it was really tried, great. Right? Have you tried? Sorry? Have you tried to do it? No, no, because music isn't my thing. But it was quite fun doing the PhD because, of course, um, part of that is always, you know, you've got to do presentations and read papers and stuff like that. Well, you know, for me, that was like falling off a log, you know. <laughs> I, I didn't really care. I mean, even if the research wasn't particularly good, which it wasn't, um, it didn't really matter because I just liked doing it, you know. I'm very happy to go and give a talk about anything, more or less, um, just for the fun of doing it, you know. So... I did benefit from the performing thing, but no, I, I've got to have some reason for doing things. I don't just do them for the sake of it. And, you know, if you perform something, you've got to have something you want to perform. And I never have had since then. So oh, apart from, you know, apart from this sort of academic stuff, which I really enjoyed a lot. I enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't sort of go get wound up about it and think oh my god you know I haven't got the right reference oh god it's got to be page I couldn't I didn't have that about it but I just enjoyed doing it reading it and writing and it was it was interesting you know. Rose when you when you went to see um, Robin and Mike play were you just in the audience or were you? Yeah so no I was just in the audience. Okay hiding. <laughs> no, you... I was with a couple of people I knew from from way back then. Yeah, wow. And and they were lovely. And uh, and at the end, that was quite funny because at the end, uh, they having sat with me through all this, you know, and all the rest of it. Um, I think I think on the stage at the end there was 
what's his name? Richard Thompson was on stage because he, he did October Song. And I can't remember who else was, was there. Oh, I know. Uh, some people from Strangely Strange. Ivan Paul was there on stage. Anyway, there was this sort of final lineup with all these people, most of whom I knew and had known from back then. And these two that I was with, one of whom was a filmmaker, said, Rose, you should be there. Mm. And it just suddenly came to me. Yes, I should be there. Um, and it was quite funny because I was quite near the front of the audience. I just sort of walked up to the stage and started to get on it. And, um, you know, needless to say, security started to come in. And, and then uh, Richard Thompson recognised me, I think, and so, and I did. And some, this other, these film people from the audience said, no, it's Rose, it's Rose, she's got to get, she's got to go. And I got plonked on the stage and I joined in the last thing of May the Long Time Sunshine. It was lovely, it was really lovely. Wow. So that's interesting. So no one even knew you were in the audience. Well, I presume Joe must. Joe, Joe knew, right. must have known, but he really didn't. He didn't really didn't encourage me to be part of it. You know, I think because he's never was never he's never entirely sure what I'm going to do next. <laughs> to be fair, find, find you a bit worrying on that score. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. I Ultimately. must admit, I must admit, from talking to you, you are not at all like what I thought you were going to be like. Oh, so there we are then. It's 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 very very nice and very easy. I, I uh, <laughs> um, I'm I'll happily edit this out, Rose, if you don't want it in. But can we talk about licorice? Sure. Well, I mean, what happened to licorice was just unbelievable, wasn't it? And uh, no one yeah. still really knows what's happened to her, do they? Not really. You hear so many conflicting reports, you know. And you hear some people say that she's absolutely, definitely, definitely alive. And some people say she's definitely, definitely dead. And and I think we all have to make our own decisions. And it's like other things. The licorice I knew is definitely gone. What, what, whatever, whether there's some other licorice who's still living there in the same body as she started off with, who knows? But um, certainly it's easier for me because that because the licorice I knew has gone, you know, and, and obviously doesn't want to be here because she would be, because licorice was not, hope, uh, licorice was perfectly capable of making her own way through things, you know, and um, that's the reason why I, I think that probably she is dead, or at least, or, or dead to the world in such a profound way that, she has no choice left because I think she would have wanted to well I think she would have wanted the money for a start you know um, and she probably has much more royalties than I've ever had uh, you know and um, you know I just think I just think she would have wanted to be a presence I can't imagine her choosing not to be a presence on some level in the world you know yeah, the only logical explanation for that, for her, is, well, the only thing that I've seen about it is that maybe she just felt some pressure from the um, uh, the religious thing. Um, oh, Scientology, well, I can understand that, because we all feel that. I mean, there's no no doubt about that. But Mike and Robin have managed to cope with it, So, and they were the ones who would have come under most pressure, 
So I don't see why she wouldn't, you know. Yeah. I mean, she clearly does. If, if she's not dead, she clearly does want to be completely left alone and not troubled by, by her name and her past. And she's done a pretty good job of disappearing, yeah. if that is the case. And it, it my view, you know, because I, I, I mean, there's quite a few leads that you can find. Um, oh, sure. But I would say it would almost be wrong to go poking around, really. It should be left to her what she wants to do with her life, really. Um, but, um, yeah, just I just thought, I just wanted to ask you that anyway, but see what you thought. Well, that's, from me personally, I know that she's not, she's, the licorice I knew is not here anymore. And whether there's a different one, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, her family would be, the place to start if you wanted to look you know but i don't want to look no um, no no so that's it really yeah yeah um the last thing on my list here is how do you feel about love and peace now rose um uh, so perhaps we'll just talk about that for a second before we wind up how do i feel about yeah well just at this right moment with you know the world blowing itself up in one corner and 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 it doesn't look really so great you know but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that we didn't have something that you can rescue from all that, because and I think it's a blessing for me. It's a blessing that if you did ever believe in that hippie time, if you did ever really put your mind and body into what it was all about, you you know that you are of the universe. You are part of a universe. And you're part of in, in a sort of hierarchy, you know, you're part of your family or your your nation, or but beyond all that, you are an organic part of an organic well world in is on the on certain on that level. And that nature will always return to a, its own equilibrium somehow. And despite I, I'm not. I'm not a great fan of humanity. You know, <laughs> I don't think humanity is really particularly. It's wonderful when you get Mozart. It's wonderful when you get. You know, the culture that humanity produces is amazing. It's beyond anything that one could ever have wished to have somehow or to hope for from animals that run around. You know, so we've created something wonderful. Whether whether we haven't come to the end of the line with that is another story. But for me personally, that my great consolation is that, no, I, I, I remain part of an organic world and the organic world has its, has its lovers and its hates, but they come into equilibrium and that, you know, I will, I will return to it, you know, earth to earth. And, and that when I breathe in the, when I breathe in the night air, and then I see the stars, and then I feel feel that belonging, and somehow that that is all more important than all the rubbish of the day and the news, and it's that feeling of belonging and being part of this great thing, and that's from the hippie days. And if that's all I brought out of it, well, I'm really lucky to have it now when I need it, you know. So yes, in a way, I believe in peace and love, but not in human terms. Lovely. No. 
what a beautiful way to end the podcast. Thank you so okay. much for chatting with me. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, okay. Thank okay. you, sir. I enjoyed it too. Excellent. Thank you.